0: This is the Future of HR Podcast,
1: episode 52. And for all of your listeners who are early in their HR careers, one of the best pieces of advice I received came from Steve Kerr. Steve's well known for his role as the Chief Learning Officer at GE during the Jack Welch era, and who I had the great privilege of working for when he joined Goldman in 2001. Steve encouraged all team members to develop an area of expertise one that's useful internally, of course, but also something that could be leveraged externally. And for me, the area of expertise was executive coaching. Why is it important for HR leaders
0: to have an area of expertise? How can leading with expertise increase your impact and accelerate your career? Hi, I'm your host, J.P. Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field and most importantly, your career to the next level. I want to start today's episode by saying thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. Why am I saying thank you today? Because August was a record-breaking month for the future of HR, and we had more downloads than we've had any month since I've started the podcast. And more downloads means the more and more next-generation HR leaders are finding out about the podcast. So thank you for listening, and please continue to spread the word and tell others about the future of HR. With that, my guest today is Kerry Friedman. Kerry is the global head of human resources at Jefferies, which is a leading global full service investment banking and capital markets firm with offices in more than 40 countries. Prior to Jefferies, Kerry was a senior development talent officer at Credit Suisse and was a founding member of Goldman Sachs Pine Street Leadership Development Group, which is widely recognized for its innovative work with Goldman Sachs leaders and key external clients of the firm. Kerry's a smart, humble, and business-focused leader who's made an impact throughout his career. And in my conversation today with Kerry, we discuss how developing his expertise in executive coaching accelerated his career, what he learned from being part of the team that established the Pine Street Leadership Group at Goldman Sachs, his key learnings as he transitioned into a CHRO role at Jefferies, his advice for early career professionals on how to be a success and stand out from the crowd and why he believes organizations must invest in developing their people's skills for the future, and much more.
1: Kerry, welcome to The Future of HR. How are you? GP, I'm doing great. Appreciate being invited to be a part of this.
0: Well, of course you're invited. We've known each other for a long time, and I was ecstatic to have you on the podcast. Well, we want to start off and hear more about your career journey. You started your career at Goldman Sachs and moved up pretty quickly ultimately being part of the team that built the Pine Street Leadership Program. Tell us about your early career at Goldman Sachs and what
1: you believe made you successful there. I would say I had a fairly unconventional path. And before Goldman, I actually had another role. So I'll give you a little bit of the story. So I studied hotel management in college. I had a concentration in human resources. And my first job out of college was at Aramark, and the role was in food service operations. The idea behind that was I would work in the field. And once I understood the operational component, I would move into an HR role. After about six months, I realized the food industry wasn't exactly for me, but I was still really eager to learn the fundamentals of human resources. And I quickly learned that if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you can go through the motions likely do your job as a job instead of a career and perform okay, but certainly will perform at your best. But I also knew I wasn't capable of doing that. So I was driven. I wanted a rewarding career. So I knew I had to change and find a role where I'd be motivated and where I could be successful. So I start apply. I started applying for HR roles. At the same time, I studied for my GRE as I was considering going back to get a master's degree in industrial neighbor relations which I thought would have been really helpful to me, even though, quite candidly, I wasn't too excited to go back to school. So a lot of life is serendipity. And I received an offer to join Goldman Sachs in May of 1998 as a summer intern on their training and development team. It was meant for college students. And as mentioned, I'd already graduated. So at the end of that internship, I would have basically nowhere to go. And maybe this part's going to sound... A little controversial, but knowing that I purposely sought projects that would outlast my internship. And then it was up to me to do so well that it would be, well, basically it would only make sense for them to invite me to stay on full-time. So that was my mindset going into it. And fortunately for me, it worked out as I received a full-time offer. I was staffed on some really great projects, which included the cultural indoctrination programs to orient all of the new analysts and associates who were joining from college campuses throughout the world. Um, I got involved in programs that also had a similar goal, but for lateral hires and helping to indoctrinate them to the firm. And then I supported the programs for newly promoted managing directors and partners. I really enjoyed working on those programs. I had great exposure to all the firm senior leaders. Those were the folks who were speaking at all these events. And I quickly got to learn a lot about financial services industry, the firm, the strategy, the culture. And about a year later, despite being a relatively new joiner myself, they asked me to lead what they called the orientation practice, which included all the programs I just mentioned. So to answer your question, JP, I think part of what made me successful in those early days was just how appreciative I was to have the opportunity to work at Goldman Sachs at that time. And I say that because it was a true definition of a meritocracy. My age was not a factor and I earned their trust based on my work ethic. And I imagine the quality of the work that I was doing. And I attribute my success to having incredibly supportive managers who wanted to see me succeed. Who empowered me early on by allowing me to lead important projects and initiatives early in my career. And for all of your listeners who are early in their HR careers, one of the best pieces of advice I received came from Steve Kerr. Steve's well known for his role as the chief learning officer at GE during the Jack Welch era, and who I had the great privilege of working for when he joined Goldman in 2001. Steve encouraged all team members to develop an area of expertise, one that's useful internally, of course, but also something that could be leveraged externally. And for me, the area of expertise was executive coaching. I had the opportunity to lead the coaching practice at Goldman, where several of the senior most leaders were paired with an executive coach to help them improve as leaders and managers. And I learned a great deal about coaching. As Steve would say, if you read three books on coaching, guess what? You probably know a lot more about coaching than anyone else. Um, So I was very well read on the topic. I spent hours talking to Goldman's cadre of executive coaches as I was really fascinated by the role coaches played within an organization. Because I learned and knew a lot about coaching, I was the person who was educating others and meeting with the senior leaders who were going to be paired up with the coach, despite being in my early 20s at that time. So the lesson for everyone listening is that experts want to deal with experts. Age should not be a factor, as if you know more than they do and you can help them. I learned they would happily accept my guidance and my advice. And just like I respected the business leaders to be experts in their field, They respected me as an expert in my field. And despite them being much older than I was at the time, I wasn't intimidated as I knew I had something I could offer that would be helpful to them in achieving their career ambitions. And soon thereafter, this area of expertise started getting me invited to speak at conferences like the conference board. I was writing chapters about coaching and books. And I got invited to spend time with other firms who are also looking to start up coaching programs or who are looking for referrals on coaches. So I achieved that goal that Steve had laid out for us, which was become an expert on a topic that would serve the firm, could serve clients and the broader HR community. Thanks so much for sharing your career arc. And I love how you were
0: vulnerable. And like many of us, you made a pivot early on in your career, found this opportunity at Goldman Sachs took advantage of that opportunity, built your expertise, really made an impact, and from there built a reputation that really propelled you into bigger and more impactful roles at Goldman Sachs and everywhere else. And Steve Kerr is someone who I'd love to have on the podcast, and maybe if you're younger in your career, you don't know much about Steve Kerr, but he's had a huge impact on our field for lots of reasons. But he also had an impact at Goldman Sachs as he helped put together the Pine Street Leadership Program that you were really instrumental in putting that together as well. Tell us more about why it was so special and how it impacted how you think about developing leaders.
1: Sure. And I think special is a good choice of words to describe Pine Street. And I feel extremely fortunate to have been a part of it from day one. And just for your viewers, that you're unfamiliar with Pine Street, it's a dedicated leadership development practice area that senior level employees at Goldman Sachs had access to so the Cliffs Notes version is that when I joined Goldman in nineteen ninety eight the firm's global headcount was just north of twelve thousand employees, and when the firm went public back in nineteen ninety nine the firm grew tremendously, and literally by two thousand, if I could recall correctly, the firm had doubled in size, so well over twenty thousand employees. As part of that IPO, many of the firm's senior partners were in a position to retire, and the firm realized it needed to invest in the development of the partners and the managing directors who were going to be the future of the firm and help lead the firm through that transitional period from private to public entity and through an incredible period of growth and globalization. Given the work I was already doing, which was focused on the MDs and partners, It was natural for me to get asked to be a part of the team that was tasked with creating what would ultimately become known as Pine Street. So what we created was special for many reasons. There really wasn't anything like it on Wall Street or elsewhere, for that matter, that focused on this level of seniority the way the Pine Street group did. And one of the key tenants of Pine Street was to have the firm's own leaders do the majority of the teaching. So it was a true leaders-teaching-leaders model, where those leaders who had been in the trenches, who were deemed successful, well, those were the ones who were selected to teach and share their knowledge, share their experience with other leaders at the firm on how they did it. And it was incredibly fun for me to get to work alongside the firm's leaders to get them to reflect on their careers and open up and share their best practices and the pitfalls that they experienced and learned from throughout their careers. We honed in on topics that would be most relevant. So I had responsibility for developing the content with the business leaders for several modules that were taught as part of the initial Pine Street Leadership Program, which all managing directors and partners attended. And those sessions were focused on topics like how to be an effective coach and mentor, how to work effectively across cultures. As I mentioned, the firm was much more global and and entering new geographies. And we also developed a module on effective communication. And then there was an upward feedback coaching component where every MD got feedback and a debrief session with an executive coach. And given I ran the coaching program, I got to run that component. So really great stuff. And I felt like I was able to forge really strong relationships with so many of the firm's leaders, those who are serving as program faculty, all of the program attendees, as well as learning so much from world-class external faculty and the coaches who we work with. So the big thing for me was I believe strongly in the leaders, teaching leaders model. I've continued to employ it throughout my career at Jefferies. We offer our employees incredible training across all title levels. And I would say 90 plus percent of the teaching is from our own employees, which we're incredibly proud of. Yeah. Leaders,
0: teaching leaders is a, such an important concept Hat tip to Noel Tichy, who really popularized that and made that come to life, not only at GE, but other places. And what's interesting, Kerry, is you really were an expert on developing leaders, coaching, became a specialist. After Goldman, you took that Pine Street Leadership Program mentality and what you learned to credit Suisse as you're their senior talent development officer. And then you made a jump, a jump that is pretty tough, that specialist to generalist jump and became the global head of HR at Jeffries. Talk about that transition from specialist to generalist and what was it like for you and how did you, what did you have to learn to unlearn to be successful?
1: That's a great question, JP. And I like the use of the word transition as it certainly was a transition. After 20 years as a talent development professional, a specialist, as you put it, I became the CHRO, which is the epitome of a generalist in human resources, and I found that there was a lot more to learn than to unlearn, as HR covers so many different areas and each one is complex, each one is always evolving if you're doing it right, so my learning curve was steep, and you often hear new CHROs say they felt like they were suffering a bit from imposter syndrome. And... When I started in this role, I don't think I felt I had imposter syndrome because I knew that when I arrived at Jeffries, that the main focus for me was going to be developing a talent agenda for the firm. And I knew I could add a lot of value early on. And while not necessarily expert in some of the other areas within HR, I'd been around HR for 20 years at that point and had a real appreciation for all of the different HR discipline and I was really eager to learn more. Some areas were going to be pretty new to me. So I certainly went in with a learning mindset and I would pose a lot of questions to my direct reports and to the broader HR team to really understand how I could best lead the team. Um, I was eager to be a change maker. I was eager to be a change facilitator. And I knew I had to get to know the firm, get to know our people get to know a unique and very strong culture before acting too quickly. And I think a lot of people expected me to come in guns ablazing with these playbooks from both Goldman and Credit Suisse, given some of the success I'd had at those firms and simply take out the playback playbook, put it into action immediately. But I will tell you, JP, that would have been a career shortening decision had I done that. I'm always reminded by Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's certainly amongst my favorites. And I really kept what I learned in that book top of mind during this transitional period as just because certain things I had done in the past, which were successful, it didn't necessarily mean they'd translate at Jefferies. So I was patient. I was thoughtful about what I did and when. And only after I felt I had a good feel for the firm and the culture and the necessary buy-in that I would need to make some of the things come to life, that's when I would kind of move forward. So some things I've been able to implement with our team and some things we're literally just starting to do now, five and a half years into this journey. Another key learning for me has been when I made this transition to being the CHRO, I really focused on the importance of embracing my vulnerabilities. It's a word you used earlier. So I would embrace my vulnerabilities instead of denying them and acting like I knew everything. I certainly did not. And had I come in thinking I knew it all, again, that would have been a big mistake. And being well-networked is absolutely essential. And in fact, as you mentioned, it's how you and I met many years ago. Despite, you know, working in different industries and living far away from each other, you know, we met through a network group that we were both a part of. And I'll give a special shout out to Mark Efron and Jim Shanley, who invited us to be a part of that group. And I also know both Jim and Mark have been guests on your podcast. They are really amongst the best minds in HR, in my opinion. But that group has kept us in touch over the years. So I've really leaned into my network. I read a lot. Uh, Again, there's a lot I don't know and I want to get to know more about. I've signed up for webinars on all kinds of HR topics. And I listen to your podcast, as you know, and I learned so much from your guests. I'm super appreciative that you do this, and I'm sure others feel the same way I do. It's just great learning. And again, there's a lot to learn.
0: Well, thanks, Kerry. I appreciate that. And there is a lot to learn. And I think the humbleness, your vulnerability, the fact that you acknowledge, hey, there's always more to learn in this field. And from the team has made you really successful. But I wanted to double click a little bit in talking about what it's like to be a first time CHRO or an HR leader taking on that new role. And you didn't fall into the trap of pushing your agenda right away. You really kind of felt the culture out. How do you do that? Like, what advice do you have for someone who's new in that role to start to understand, like, will some of my playbook work, won't work? You know, how do I make an impact here?
1: I touched on some of it previously, but I'm happy to expand on it and double-click, as you said, with a few additional examples of what I found to be helpful when I first took on the role. First, we're in a relationship business, and therefore, relationship building has always been crucial to me. It was of the utmost importance to get out of my office, meet lots of people early days, I spent a lot of time meeting with leaders throughout the firm. I asked a lot of questions and gained an understanding of what was working well and where there were pain points, which helped me hone in on where I and the HR team could add the most value. And I always try to put the human in human resources. I think sometimes we forget that. It was important to remember people's names. I would try to remember faces I remember what they told me about their families. I'm always asking how they're doing. Um, Doing this will help, well, it's helped me really build relationships. So when I see people again, I know where I can kind of pick up on prior conversations. And when I run into them in meetings or I see them in the cafeteria on the elevator, you know, we know we have a relationship and we kind of continue to build on that. And for those of you who are just starting out, this applies to you as well, as I encourage you to get out of cube Land, Don't let yourself be intimidated to meet with business leaders just because you're younger than they are. When I was starting out and meeting with senior people, I always just envisioned I was having a conversation with my mom or my dad's friends. And this was made easier when I was discussing a subject matter where, again, I had a level of expertise and knew I could bring value. And again, for the younger audience, keep in mind that there are many senior people who very much welcome closing the age gap and spending time with junior professionals. So don't be afraid to meet with them as they'll appreciate the chance to speak to and learn from you. And that's something I really value. I love when we have some of our junior professionals come to my office and chat with me. I probably learn more from them than they're going to learn from me in those conversations. Another piece of advice is that you really need to roll up your sleeves and do the work. I've always been what I say is a producer leader. I like getting involved in projects. I like leading projects. When I joined Jeffrey's back in 2018, there wasn't a dedicated training and development or DE and I team. And as discussed, you know, my career was spent in training and talent and I always partnered closely with DE and I. So. I spent a lot of my first year and a half working with the business and creating training programs, creating DE&I initiatives. And I was adding value. I was adding value to the firm. It helped establish my credibility with my HR team. And I earned my stripes with the business, which, which for me was incredibly helpful. You know, I wasn't sitting in an ivory tower deciding what the business needed. That's a common mistake. Instead, everything we did, everything we're doing is focused on solving an issue or a problem for the business. So being connected to the business, helping to solve their HR challenges is really what the CHRO and the team need to be doing. And if I could provide one last piece of advice, because I was reflecting on when I first took on this role, but I want to stress the importance of assessing your team. So you need to surround yourself with A players if you're going to be successful, as you you can't do it alone. It's important to give the team you've inherited a shot, but if they're not buying into what you're trying to do, they don't have the required skill sets needed, or just don't possess the attitude you need, then you need to address it early and build a team of subject matter experts who share a common vision. So those are a few of the pieces of advice I'd like to impart on this audience. Really
0: pragmatic and actionable tips around that first transition point into CHRO. Thanks for sharing that, Carrie. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is you recently gave a presentation at Jeffrey's Human Capital Management Conference and discussed the importance of upskilling the workforce. Tell us more about what upskilling means to you.
1: Sure. So plain and simple, upskilling means preparing our employees to continue to have a rewarding career, by keeping their skills and knowledge current and also understanding what skills and knowledge they need, not just for today, but also in the future as it's constantly evolving. So it's important that we're always a few steps ahead in forward thinking. We're incredibly invested in developing our talent at every title level, from the most junior employees to our most senior. And it's difficult, right? We have over 40 offices around the world, and we recognize the importance of upskilling our global workforce, not just, again, with the skills required today, but we need to equip our employees with the skills and knowledge that will allow them and our firm to continue to grow, continue to thrive in the future. And there, there are a number of ways we do it. So at Jeffries, we feel we have a unique approach to training and development uh that differentiates us from other firms. But part of it's we care about developing our employees as individuals. So we don't just conduct large-scale open enrollment training programs and declare victory. Well, that style of training can be somewhat helpful, we recognize the importance of offering more tailored, more individualized development opportunities to upskill our workforce. And that literally means tailoring it at the individual level. So even our classroom training offerings include one-on-one coaching components, oftentimes getting coaching from our own senior leaders. We also work with employees and managers to create individual development plans using our digital learning platforms like Coursera. And then in terms of the classroom trainings, we're very focused on bringing our employees together, preferably in person. You know, we missed a lot during the pandemic and it's important for employees to learn together Develop those relationships I alluded to earlier. And while we had no choice but to rely only on Zoom trainings during the pandemic, you know, we're fortunate now we're back together in person and we're in a more collaborative, more organic learning environment. So, yes, we are big believers in classroom training. We do incorporate the digital learning platforms into our training methodology. And we found that having on-demand learning is a nice complement to the live development program. So digital learning, it's proven to be incredibly useful in upskilling our workforce. Many of these platforms are using AI now that identify specific skills required for particular roles for now, but also for the future. And you mentioned our recent human capital summit we hosted a couple of months back, We had many of the leading HR technology platforms in the world at that event. We had companies who were focused on employee skills development. And I could tell you, JP, there are some incredible, mind-blowing tools that are being developed or, or that are already developed. So I'm excited for what the future has in store. These tools will elongate the careers of our employees. They'll enable all of us to stay current They'll assess our current skill gaps. They'll help provide customized development opportunities to close those skills gaps. And to me, it's all around co- continued lifelong learning. And, and that, to me, is another one of the key tenants. I, I kind of think about. Years ago, for Father's Day, my wife decided she was going to put up a basketball court on, on my driveway. And I got home, and the court had just gotten completed. And there was a father, son, team, who had put it up, and I got to talking to them. and the son I asked him what he did and how he chose this career, and it was interesting. He said, "I had just, you know spent 20 years working on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, but technology has really evolved, and he said he really didn't keep up. And he didn't keep up as the technologies changed, and he basically told me that he let himself become extinct. There was no more job for him. And he literally went from working on the floor of the stock exchange to sadly putting up the bestable court on my driveway. And that has really stuck with me over the years. And I tell people that story because you need to be selfish. You need to invest in yourself. Yes, it's time, but it's going to be time well spent if you're investing and developing your skills for today and in his case, developing the skills for the future So again, that was really important. That's why we're so focused on the skills development for today and for what's to come.
0: Yeah, it's an important point. All of us have to continue to invest in ourselves and the skills and and really learn where we're going to go. With the future, no one knows how our roles and our jobs will be impacted by AI and the technology. But when you look at the past, the technology has actually created new opportunities, new jobs, as long as we're staying current with that. So I think you're right. There's a bright future but it is uncertain. So we've got to continue to stay vigilant and continue to learn and grow. Kerry, we've come to the last part of the podcast here where we're going to be a little controversial because I know you and I kind of share a feeling around this. We've had some conversations and it's really interesting. A lot of people believe that we need to see more CHROs who come directly from the business, meaning that they actually aren't career HR people. They've come from operations, marketing, finance, who then become the CHRO. It's something I know you disagree with. I disagree with it as well in terms of a trend. I'm not saying it can't work, but it's a trend. Tell us more about why you disagree with this perspective or what people are missing when we sort of cheer on the business becoming CHROs who've never actually been in the other seats of HR.
1: Well, there, there's a debate to be had for sure on this topic, JP, and it would make for a great future podcast. So I could found that as an idea. I certainly feel that years ago, when I first started out in HR, most firms felt they needed to bring a business leader in to run HR, maybe to bring stature or credibility to the HR function. And HR just didn't have the same level of respect from the business and the proverbial seat at the table that we enjoy today. And we enjoy it because we've earned it. So why do I believe the CHRO should come from HR? Well, my view is that HR has evolved and become so much more sophisticated, so much more complex over the years. And to go back to the point I made earlier, CHRO should have... HR expertise that the business values and appreciates to appoint someone to this role who doesn't possess relevant HR experience, I don't think it sets them up for individual or firm success. And like you said, we continue to see firms who are appointing non-HR professionals into the CHR CHRO role. From what I've seen, there are some who, as you said, some make it, but a lot of them don't and again my view is that there are, just given how complex hr is i think someone that has that hr experience is better suited however to be a successful chro you need to be a business junkie we've heard that 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 term tossed around but i really do believe in that you need to understand the business the objectives and be aligned with what the business leaders actually want and what they actually need to advance their strategy not just what you think they need. You need to understand the business. So the CHRO can do that. To me, there's no reason to think someone from the business would be better qualified for the CHRO role. HR has come a long way over the last two decades in terms of the role it plays. I believe that now CEOs, their leadership teams, they really appreciate the value and importance of HR And the pandemic, as awful as it was, really put HR on the map more so than ever before. And I personally feel like HR professionals were not just holding down the fort during the pandemic, but HR actually created the fort. And HR professionals, we didn't have a playbook to lean on during that pandemic. We faced a series of challenges we'd never experienced before, complicated stuff. But somehow, with a lot of smarts, we figured it out. So as HR professionals, we created mental and physical wellness programs, kept our employees safe, healthy, motivated. We figured out how to assimilate new hires who were not coming into the office and meeting people face-to-face during that time. We learned how to conduct virtual training programs and internship programs over Zoom, and it worked. We were keeping employees connected to the culture through virtual methods, yep. teaching culture on Zoom screens and through conversations on phones. Um, and then we're having conversations as it pertains to DVI. Don't forget, like the George Floyd tragedy took place during the pandemic and HR professionals had to really create courageous conversations to talk about these things, but we couldn't gather together in person. We were doing that through virtual means, but that list goes on and on. But really put HR, in my opinion, again, it really helped the business view HR quite differently, given the important role we played through that. And then just another point I'll make is that for the CHRO to earn the credibility and the buy-in of their HR colleagues, that's absolutely critical for success. It's going to be much easier to do that if you're bringing HR expertise and HR experience that your HR colleagues will benefit from. You know, there are things that are likely lacking. You as a CHRO with experience can help them. So in my case, it was my knowledge of talent and training and DEI, and i and just having been around HR for over 20 years. So in summary, just like you wouldn't put a seasoned HR person into an investment banking role, or you're not going to take an HR person and put them into a seasoned trading role. Because that requires deep expertise and experience. I don't see why that's different when it comes to the role of the CHRO, which also requires deep expertise and experience. Well said,
0: Kerry. Last question for you. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to ten years?
1: Yeah, my word would be Adaptability. The world of HR, as we discussed, it's changing fast, and we're seeing all of these new tools. We're starting, we're in the early part of seeing the power of AI, and it's incredibly exciting, but you need to embrace it. We're going to need it to learn how to use it. So if you're going to be a successful HR leader, you need to be able to adjust to, and more importantly, embrace all of these new technologies. They will help us on our journey to continue to professionalize the HR function. And it's going to make us all more efficient and effective. We have so much to look forward to, JP, in the years ahead. Yeah, I've been in HR now for over 25 years, and I just can't wait to see what the next 25 years have in store for all of us. It's an exciting time to be an HR professional, for sure.
0: It is. And the future of HR is about adaptability. Kerry,
1: thank you for finally being on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. As did I, and again, on behalf of everyone who's benefiting from this, as I am, thank you for doing this, JP. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening to this
0: episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Kerry for sharing his career journey and why he recommends building your expertise in an area that'll help accelerate your career growth. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Matt Abrams, who's an innovative educator, author, podcast host, and coach. He is the Larson Lamb Family Lecturer in Organizational Behavior at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, where he teaches two popular classes in strategic communications and effective virtual presenting. Matt also hosts a popular podcast called Think Fast, Talk Smart, and he's stopping by to talk about his fantastic new book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. And in our conversation, Matt and I are going to discuss not only his new book, but how HR leaders can become better communicators and drive more impact. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.